the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 8th, 2020. Something very dangerous is taking place in America right now. The truth, the truth is there have long been efforts to solidify the danger. It's just that up until about 10 years ago or now, they weren't seen for what they should have been seen. Wrong. The danger. That words are inherently dangerous based on a political point of view. A various incarnation is that speech is violence. And thus, there have been efforts to censor political speech for just about as long as the world has been in existence. From the beginning of this country, however, our founders rebuked this idea. They, like others of the Enlightenment, thought thoughts mattered, that brains mattered, and that reason and philosophy and discovery and the scientific method and that speech and debate was what formed human beings could handle. More should use to govern themselves and others. There would be absolutely zero point to the First Amendment if any of this were not so. That was the point of the First Amendment, a tribute to the notion that adults could handle ideas, disagreement, choice, and thus govern themselves based on the sheet anchor of responsibility and freedom and equality, namely consent. I'm not speaking of direct invocations or commands of violence, of course, and I'm not talking of illegal verbal threats, but I am talking about the effort and attempt to take legitimate speech and treat it as illegal verbal threats and invocations of violence. We've seen this on our campuses for some time. When Heather MacDonald goes to a campus and violent riots break out to prevent her from speaking, or Ben Shapiro, or Ann Coulter, or Charles Murray, or David Horowitz, or any number of conservatives are invited to speak somewhere. The speech is violence theme arises, and true violence against them is ignored or justified. But disagreement over an idea is not violence. And if it were, our founders would not have given us a First Amendment, and we would not have two political parties in America. In fact, there would be no point to elections. Why let people decide for themselves how to govern themselves and others if only one point of view is to reign? Why not become a one-party state? I ask that rhetorically, knowing full well many do in fact want that. And those who give up on understanding the first rule of politics that others may disagree with you have engaged in all kinds of forms of censorship. It is, however, the stuff of tyranny, not freedom. It is the stuff of inequality, not equality, and it is undemocratic. So now, today, because the president gave a speech, the calls are to remove him from office. So now, today, because some people engaged in a riot, the calls are to punish and taint entire political parties, or a political party, with culpability. This has never been done before. And it augurs poorly for the United States. Meanwhile, true invocations of violence are ignored when they come from the right political party or perspective, namely if they come from the left. 
Cops are pigs, all cops are bastards, as crispy as bacon, and worse. These themes, shouts, and calls were yelled and spray-painted when police officers were attacked physically last summer. Some of them forgot now, but just as important as the violence in Washington this past week. Some of them were even shot in the head. Plays and videos of assassinations of President Trump go unremarked upon, as do threats to bomb the White House if they come from famous singers and actors and actresses, imprecations to physically harass Trump administration officials from congresswomen, the same. And when violence from the left manifested in America, it is odd how silent those who are loud today were then. But one thing we have never done here is blame the actions of the extreme or disturbed on the normal and protected speech of the speaker. Bernie Sanders offers some terrible political ideas, but he could not be legitimately held responsible for a follower of his he did not know who engaged in awful violence. If he were, then all someone need do is claim Ted Cruz has awful political ideas and thus he should be censored and silenced lest some follower of his someday act violently. It's called the heckler's veto, and we don't do it here. We don't or shouldn't shut down speech based on fears that those who disagree or agree too extremely will engage in violence. But that is precisely what is being attempted now. Bernie Sanders, free to roam. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and Donald Trump to be censored or impeached or recalled. Of course, no society, even this one, is free of violent actors. Presidents here, after all, have been assassinated for their views, all by fellow Americans. But do we blame Abraham Lincoln for his own death or John Kennedy? Should they not have been anti-slavery or anti-communist? Do we bring, blame Martin Luther King Jr. for his death? Should he not have been a civil rights protester? Do we blame Al Gore for the Unabomber or Bill Clinton for the Oklahoma bombing? To do so would be to silence every bit of political speech lest some extremist or insane person we do not know use those words to justify their violence. Perhaps it's a new version of safetyism. But it seems to me that is our problem just now, forgetting what extreme and insane really is. Regimes like the Soviet Union, Cambodia, China, Those are the regimes that painted those who disagreed or disagreed politically as insane, as abnormal, as as having mental defects. But that is the abuse of psychiatry, as we have come to learn. I worry that we see it here now. And when mere proposals like Social Security reform are suggested, painting and describing those views as extreme as Democrats have done is is an unhealthy thing, especially when they use that same word, extreme to describe Islamic terrorism. But it was all in an effort to curb speech and marginalize political opponents and opposition. From one side, Antifa, an organization that carries physical weapons and disguises themselves in riot gear, they're responsible for a lot of violence. And yet they are excused as a myth by the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and nothing more than an idea by President-elect Joe Biden. BLM riots burned cities, businesses, and bombed federal courthouses and took over police headquarters and had streets named after them and their names written into professional sports stadiums. On the other hand, again, Donald Trump, Josh Hawley, and Ted Cruz are responsible for violence because of their political speech. 
When Donald Trump fought with the press, the press, used to wrapping itself in the protections of the First Amendment, said Trump was endangering them with his words. When Ted Cruz and Joss Hawley spoke this week of wanting an investigation into voter irregularities, they were blamed for the violence on Capitol Hill. We must be exquisitely careful about this trend. I think it nearly as dangerous as the aberrant violence itself. But while the violence is aberrant, the notion that speech is violence and can be and should be censored is becoming more and more respectable. It's almost as if the American Civil Liberties Union never existed, or the First Amendment. As someone on Twitter put it, the left sees our speech as violence and their violence as speech. Neither is right. There is a difference, and the difference matters if democracy and a Republican form of government are to have any chances of success. If you can't debate, you have tyranny. If you countenance, apologize for, or defend violence, you have anarchy, where might makes right and not the other way around. We seem to have forgotten our Brandeis, Louis Brandeis, Supreme Court Justice. He wrote, quote, Fear of serious injury cannot alone justify suppression of free speech and assembly. Men feared witches and burned women. It is the function of speech to free men from the bondage of irrational fears. To justify suppression of free speech, there must be reasonable ground to fear that serious evil will result if free speech is practiced. There must be reasonable ground to believe that the danger apprehended is imminent. There must be reasonable ground to believe that the evil to be prevented is serious. He continued, Those who won our independence by revolution were not cowards. They did not fear political change. They did not exalt order at the cost of liberty. To courageous, self-reliant men with confidence in the power of free and fearless reasoning applied through the process of popular government, no danger flowing from speech can be deemed clear and present unless the incidence of the evil apprehended is so imminent that it may befall before there is opportunity for full discussion. If there be time to expose through discussion the falsehoods and fallacies, to avert the evil by the process of education, the remedy to be applied is more speech, not enforced silence. Only an emergency justifies repression, close quote. My worry today, too many are ready to declare emergencies to justify repression. That would be mob rule of its own kind, one-party rule, the criminalization of thought and politics. It's gone on for too long now on our campuses. I worry that it has now flowed up and out through too much of the rest of society as well. But that is not democracy and would have stopped in their tracks every great movement in America if it were. It would have stopped abolition as much as civil rights. If Louis Brandeis doesn't persuade, let us try Oliver Wendell Holmes. Quote, Every idea is an incitement. It offers itself for belief, and if believed, it is acted on unless some other belief outweighs it or some failure of energy stifles the movement at its birth. The only difference between the expression of an opinion and an incitement in the narrower sense is the speaker's enthusiasm for the result. For eloquence can always set fire to reason. Close quote. Yes, it may. But we don't stop eloquence for fear of that, lest we go to war against ideas and the expressions of them. Again, 
That's what I fear here, the criminalization of ideas which will lead to the criminalization of their expressions of ideas, which will lead to the criminalization of the people who think them and speak them. And that is how Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Vaclav Havel ended up in prisons, along with millions of others, under the kinds of regimes they lived under. We don't do that here. We fought those regimes, and we didn't fight and prevail over them to ape and mimic them now. Or do we? I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Have I been saying 2020 in my monologues? I mean 2021, obviously. <laughs> Who would think that I would want to prolong last year? I don't. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind? Of course, Friday's a little more open than even usually. Uh, anything you want to ask? Go right ahead. Let's start with Hutch in Phoenix. Hello, Hutch. Hutch, are you there? Oh, yeah. Hi. Well, knocked out for some reason. That's okay. We got you Um, now. I was wondering, uh, with all of this rhetoric about um, invoking the 25th on Trump, I don't even know if they'd have two weeks. I don't don't think they've ever done anything in two weeks, so I'm not even concerned about that. Are they going to apply the same uh, protocol or characteristics or whatever phrase you want to use to Maxine Waters, who openly said, if you see people eating at a restaurant, accost them, and, you know, like they did to uh, Candace Owens at the restaurant, uh, calling her a white supremacist and everything. I mean, that was pretty violent, all the stuff they were doing with her. Chasing uh, people out of restaurants, you sure. Pelosi. Sure. You sure. got all of these people that were calling for the incitement of violence against Republicans. You bet they Are were. Are they going to use the same criteria to... Well, I think you and I, I I thought you were going to ask a different question, because I think you and I know the answer to that is no, right? We've seen over the last, uh, since Wednesday, right? Since Wednesday, we have seen this double standard. All of a sudden, uh, we see Democrats and journalists are against riots and in favor of law enforcement, which I'm glad to see they finally understand. But I thought you were going to go a different way, which is the real purpose of the 25th Amendment, Right. Which is when um, to be invoked when a president is not able to govern due to uh, some kind of physical or mental uh, infirmity. And I think that um, we I I, I think it'd be fair to say in the last four years we've seen and heard more about the 25th Amendment than we have all the years since it was passed. And and I think the Democrats may regret opening that door, I think. You know, given the state of mind that we can see Joe Biden in, I've got to tell you, I think the 25th Amendment is going to be on a lot of awful lot of people's minds over the next few years and not over the next two weeks. I I hate to say it, but God bless Joe Biden. I hope he lives a long life. Sure. Because if he doesn't, Jesus Christ. Well, easy there, kiddo. Easy there. (laughs) Easy there, kiddo. I'm just... I'm just saying I can't even imagine a President Harris Well, and who I, the heck she might bring in. Well, yeah. That's what I mean by No, I, 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 under, I, I take the point. I, 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 I think that that's the insurance policy <laughs> against invoking the 25th Amendment um, that conservatives are going to want to hold on to. 
But look at where we are. You know, as much as we see that we have at this point lost the levers of the executive branch and the Senate and the House of Representatives, the margins are fairly thin um, at the House. They're very narrow. And in the Senate, it's 50-50. That's as thin as it gets. You know, we are primed to do something big in the next two years if we seize this moment rightly. And that's what we've got to do. I mean, we, we've taken a few hard punches um, over the last three months, right? And, and, and I think yeah. it's time to get off the mat and start rolling up our sleeves and putting on our gloves because um, it, you've heard the phrase inflection point. I, I think it's probably been overused, but this is it. This is it. I don't, I don't think Tyson or Muhammad Ali could have hit the party any harder. Right. I know. I know. I agree with you. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of elements to it. You know, the fists and the gloves came from a lot of different places, standardly the Democratic Party, uh, standardly the media. But I think what, what played more effect than anything was social media this time around. And uh, we have we have got to figure out a way to go over their head. See, that was the magic of Donald Trump for a little while. The magic of Donald Trump for a little while was his ability to go over the mainstream media's heads by the use of social media. Social media got wise to that over the last year or so, and uh, they turned on him. And to the point where they are now, Facebook is now uh, permanently uh, going to block him, and uh, and even Michelle Obama is saying that the rest of social media should block him and you know make him beyond the pale of 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 entering into the into dialogue with the american people or the rest of the world for that matter um th- this this is the very tool we had this is the the last almost the second to last tool we conservatives and certainly donald trump had to speak to the american people and they got wise to it and they're taking it away so i think the last tool we have right now is just the one you're on the phone with talk radio Pain. Can you see them, uh, this scenario, if something did happen to Biden, God forbid, and um, Harris got in there, her trying to appoint Michelle Obama as the VP? Well, I don't know. This is why this is why it's so important. Well, this is why it's so important to win back um, the legislature, the House and the Senate, because they have to approve a nominated vice president. And, you know, I. Boy, <laughs> Hutch, I'm just getting used to the idea of Vice President Biden becoming president. You're now throwing at me President Harris and Vice President Obama. Oh, my gosh. I need a breath. Give me a breath. But let's win that Senate and House back. That's 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 our effort right now or should be. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Friday, 602-508-0960. Delighted to take your calls on anything on your mind. Phil is in Goodyear. Hello, Phil. Good afternoon, sir. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I am wonderful and uh, want to thank you for your great show. Thank you. I enjoy it frequently. Thank you. Thank you. So I was calling about my confusion about the balance of power. I don't know, maybe Bernie Sanders has changed into a Democrat, but I thought he was an independent 
So really, isn't it 50-49-1? Well, they caucus with the Democrats regardless of their independent status, and they count that for the purposes of voting for the majority leader. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, it's 50-50, which would allow Vice President Harris to cast a tie-breaking vote starting in the next session. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I, I knew he caucused with the Democrats. Yeah. So yeah. Was so, a little confused yeah. about so why if the he, Yeah. So it's, it's that first vote that really matters who's going to be the majority leader. Uh, in this case, it will be Chuck Schumer. There's there is a point of how much of America and how long America can put up with listening to Chuck Schumer as the majority leader. You know, I mean, these guys have really very little sense of themselves that they don't wear well with a lot of this country. They really don't wear well. And as I say that, I also feel like I have to also issue a note of caution because they knew something, they knew something that that allowed for that style to take hold here. Uh, you know, who thought Raphael Warnock would well, wear well in the state of Georgia? Um, who who thought exactly. that um, that 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 Joe Biden would even get this far? Quite honestly, they know something, but I, I still think there is a large part of America. Um, some people say it's still the majority of the American. People, I don't know that it is, but some people say that are going to get very tired of listening to the yelling of Chuck Schumer. I don't I don't I still don't think people like to be yelled at. I still think they don't like to be yelled at generally. And, you know, I'm old. I'm old enough to have observed him for a while. Yeah, he's he's become more and more shrill. Yes, he has. Over time. Yes. He used to be what I thought of as a fairly balanced individual on most issues, but. He, he got real shrill here in the last decade or so. Yeah, I, 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 I felt the same way. I mean, you know, I never agreed with his politics, but, you know, he was tolerable, I suppose, as, as Democrats come and go. But, yeah, uh, he he's playing a role of out. You know, he's he's playing a role that 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 I don't think suits national politics very well. It, it may work well in New York, right. maybe in even Washington, D.C., We'll see. I mean, I think he's going to I think it's going to be make, make I think it's going to make our job a little easier going forward, a little easier. I have to say, though, I have to say, you know, as much as Mitch McConnell was helpful on the judiciary, we probably need to be as a party looking for better and stronger and newer and younger leadership in the in the in the Senate on our side, too. A hundred percent. I mean, it's time for a change. Yeah. Sure. And I don't you know, know who that is right now. Um, I don't know yeah, who that it, is. I like an awful lot of them. Um, I, you know, I agree. Yeah, I, 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 and we have some great ones, but but probably McConnell needs to realize that he is not the person uh, we we need going forward as a minority leader. So one one more thing, I I don't know this, but I think I read this that when it's been this close in the Senate before, they've come up with some modified sharing of power processes. Well, you're ringing a faint done. bell. You're ringing a faint bell that takes me back to when Jim Jeffords uh, switched sides somewhere around 2002 or so. And I can't say more than that, except uh, I'd have to look look back into it. 
I just, however, got to tell you, when you listen to the way Joe Biden is talking these days, I mean, he compared Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley to Joseph Goebbels today. Um, <laughs> no, he did. That. He did. When when, when this you. is his idea of uniting the nation, um, I'm not expecting the Democrats to be uh, very magnanimous in power sharing. I'm not. Well, have a great uh, weekend, assuming you're off work. And, uh, uh, assuming that's very funny. <laughs> assuming I'm off work. That's good. I will, Phil. And you do the same, assuming you're off work as well. Okay. God bless you. God sir. bless you. Yeah. Do we need to do a musical interlude here? That's not what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, do we need to do a push-up contest update? We need to tell the audience about the push-up contest that I resisted with all my might and lost. We'll be right back. I haven't lost the contest. I lost the argument about the contest. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Reggie, Reggie's in Phoenix. Hi, Reggie. Hi, how are you? It's a pleasure to talk to you. I've been listening to you for quite a while now, and, and uh, I appreciate the uh, Daily education, if, if you will. Well, thanks, um, Reggie. That's really nice of you to say. Welcome. I Thank you. Um, I don't know if the final scenes in, in Schindler's List was where um, the Jews have been freed from the prison camp, and uh, they're approached by the Russian, and, and, and they're saying, well, where do we go now? And the Russian is, uh, soldier is saying, well, don't go here. They don't like you here. Don't go here. They don't like you here. Um, and I'm wondering, as a party, uh, wh- where do, wh- who do we look to, or, or is it too soon? Um, no, no, this, we... this is the question. My, my, my gosh, this is the question, Reggie. Uh, where do Republicans go? Who do they, who do they look to? Um, who should they be nurturing? This, this really is the question. So I, I think it probably has a couple parts to it, and I'd invite other callers to weigh in on this as well as yourself, but... One of the things I've been saying is that, you know, we have a good bench now, probably a stronger bench than we've had in a long time. I really think Uh we do, whether you're a conservative or you want to call yourself part of the uh, Make America Great Agenda. It's pretty good, elected and non-elected. And it's probably stronger uh, right now and has more supporters in it right now than even Reagan had as allies in the Senate um, in, in, in his day or in the House in his day. I, I, I do believe that. Um, so one of the interesting things to note is how you find some of the most articulate members of that crowd are taking most of the arrows from the left to try and take them out. See, the left feels very strong and emboldened right now, and they're pretty good at taking you out if they want to take you out. Uh, They went after Tom Cotton really strongly last summer. Uh, Today it's Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley whose heads are on their chopping block. Um, Anyone who dares, or or Dan Crenshaw for that matter, they're after him too. If, if, If you stand up as a strong articulate conservative they're coming after you the question is who can withstand those slings and arrows uh tom ted josh dan they're pretty strong and they seem to be able to uh to fend fend pretty strongly there are others there are a lot of others but 
it's yeah. it's there there is a growing divide in the party. I mean, there is a there is a group in the Senate and in the let's just take the Senate for for the time being that is not in that world. And that group is Mitt Romney. Probably he's the leader of it. Maybe Ben Sass. You know, they're the leaders of that part. But I don't know what kind of troops they have. I don't know what kind of base they have. I don't think they're 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 the kind of troops and base that show up by the thousands or even hundreds at a rally for them. I just don't. Yeah, you know, several months ago before the bag sort of came uh, opened up from the bottom of the bag. Anyways, I was thinking that that maybe um, Ted Cruz would be the one, you know, uh, to go forward and kind of lead uh, the conservative movement, the Republican movement or party. Um, and I still think there's a shot, or I still think he could be um, a leader of sorts. I mean, Trump's going to, President Trump, Citizen Trump, as, as he will be soon, He'll always he'll find a he'll find a, a a place to be heard, but you know there there needs to be somebody kind of on the ground leading the the, the movement. Yeah, forward. someone who and, has and, some lever, someone who has some yeah. some some elected office, probably. Maybe yeah. it's Ron DeSantis. And, you know, we typically maybe. we typically look to governors, quite honestly, and. Uh, Florida's mm-hmm. Florida's a pretty good state to be a governor of. Uh, I, you know, I keep I when I keep mentioning the Senate, I, I neglect to mention how strong I think DeSantis is or Christy Noem for that matter in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, these these names, there's there's five leaders right there that we've mentioned. Yeah. If you were to pick your favorite okay. Republican uh, right now after the president, who would it be? It would be it would be Ted Cruz right now. Well, I he mean, was the one who came in second uh, four yeah. years ago, and um, and, and by Smart, some dint of that, yeah, 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 and he and he seems to know his stuff as as the saying would go. You don't want to be up know. against him in a debate. No, no, he he he. We've seen conservatives on social media, in other formats, they seem unwilling or, or, or sort of shy about expressing themselves. Some. Yeah, no, some known. some that's true of. But think of all those that have not been shy. Uh, more have not been shy than I've seen in a long time. There are a lot of people yeah. not running for the hills right now. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Uh, some are yeah. elected and some are not. But um, it would be easy to run for the hills, and some of them are sticking. Yeah, the the left seems willing to just um, make their voice. They're loud. They're they're obnoxious in that in that sense, in my opinion. Um, and and I think um, a little pushback is needed. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to come. Uh, I think. They, they they probably feel a little entitled right now. They've won a lot, and, you know, we'll give them their due that they did win a lot. I don't think it was done mm-hmm. uh, very uh, with, with with perfect fairness, and I, and, and I think it was done with big assists from auxiliary institutions like the media. Mm-hmm. But they, 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 they own it now, and um, they're going to take a, a victory lap, and we'll let them, but 
we can't let them do it for long. We, we better be strong here. You know, for all the people that said, well, if they win, it's all over. I never agreed with that. It's never all over. Yeah. But it can be all over if we shrink from the duty that's called, that we are called upon to perform right now. If I can just take a sidestep for a second. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to you for a while. But you have a musical background, correct? I'd like to think so. Others would say I don't. <laughs> Okay. Yes and no. Right. <laughs> yes and no, as my producer says. <laughs> well, you're obviously very knowledgeable about you know about music and um, and uh, I, I was sensing that maybe you had a background as a trumpet player. Yeah, I love that stuff. I do. I almost uh, I almost went that direction many moons ago, and I I still uh, I'm a frustrated one at that, and I do love it. Well, I do love it. Yeah. Thank you very much. I you appreciate bet. it. Thank I, you, I Richie. Thank you all the time. Thank you. Thanks. That's a great, great, great call. Great name. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. There's uh, old friend Smitty in Scottsdale. Hi, Smitty. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> So, yeah, I'm sure you've seen my email. So uh, the, the, the topic here, you know, I, I see we're trying to find hope. That's our nature. We're looking at Ted Cruz down the line and Ron DeSantis down the line. Um, if you saw Tucker Carlson last night, he was very good. And he, uh, one part of his discussion was, well, wh- what's the country going to be like in February? And uh, I mentioned to you, the concept of political evil, and I see Pelosi and Schumer as political evil. So my question is, if I'm Schumer, you don't have to worry about him yelling anymore. He's not going to have any need to yell. He gets rid of the filibuster. He packs the Supreme Court with Stacey Abrams and her sister and Eric Swalwell and the like. And then the first bill is a 20% income surtax uh, on registered Republicans. Now, how do you fight that? Well, uh, first of all, you got to hope that uh, Joe Manchin is true to his word that he was going to oppose some of that kind of thing, right? You got to hope that's true. Um, I, I, he said he was going to oppose the filibuster. He was going to oppose uh, the packing of the Supreme Court. And if some of the worst stuff does get through, Smitty, uh, you fight it uh, obviously by winning the Senate back in two years. No. Uh, you have the same election fraud in two years that you had uh, on the fifth that took the Georgia Senate races that took the election. I don't think you're ever going to get rid of It's not the same kind of allegation, though, is it, um, as, as, as you see in Senate races that are, you know, ha- that you would see in a presidential. And, and I think what we have to do right now with our Republican governors and legislatures, I, I think we have to institute – a lot of reforms that require such things as voter ID and bans on unsolicited ballots. Those are traditionally left to states. And I think the states ought to take as a Republican. If you have a Republican state governor or legislature, that is your mission over the next six months. Well, I watched live the hearings in Michigan and Georgia the evidence of fraud, of all different kinds of fraud, was undeniable. It was compelling. It was pervasive. And nothing was done. Well, that's and why I'm saying the senator, the uh, governors and the legislatures better get to work. They better get to work right now. 
They better institute reforms so that these questions cannot be asked again and these problems cannot arise again. Uh, we still have that, uh, that majority, don't we? Yes, we do. We better do it. You know, a lot of people were asleep at the switch from top to bottom going into this election. They warned us. They didn't do much about it. Now we got to do something about it because I can't sit here and say any more than you want to sit there and say, well, we'll just throw up our hands. There's nothing to do. We're doomed. You know, where do we go? We go back to ref- to reforming and fixing this place. That's where we go. There's no other place. As Reagan said, this is the last stand.